Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Right now we're facing a real challenge around housing in terms of supply. Uh, there's simply not enough places for people to live right across uh, the lower and middle income uh, spectrum. And I'll be blunt as well. Housing isn't a primary federal responsibility. Okay, those comments from the Prime Minister a week or two ago are, are still reverberating with people who are trying to help solve the housing crisis in this country. I mean, if not the federal government making this a primary responsibility, then really who and where does the buck stop here? And it's the federal government. They can get involved if they really want to. They can make this a primary responsibility. So maybe the question is, how do they do that? Well, our next guest is going to help us out with that. Dr. Carolyn Weitzman is a housing researcher an adjunct professor in the Department of Geography, Environment, and Geomatics at the University of Ottawa. Dr. Weitzman, thanks for being here. Hi, Simi. Were you disappointed when you kind of heard those comments from the Prime Minister? Yeah, I was disappointed. Um, I think that, uh, you know, (laughs) housing is not mentioned as a responsibility of any level of government in 1867. Neither is climate change, but obviously the federal government has a big role to play. And as you said yourself, um, if not the federal government, then who's going to take the lead? Right. And you mentioned climate change. They certainly have made that a priority. They can make housing a priority if they want to. But how do you think they should do that? Well, at the moment, the federal government is spending a lot of money on um, financing for housing that isn't necessarily affordable for the people who need it the most. So in those introductory remarks, there was a talk about low-income people. That's 78% of the people who are in core housing need and 100% of people who are homeless. So there does need to be renewed commitment to deeply affordable housing. There's one program in the National Housing Strategy called the Rapid Housing Initiative. It wasn't even there initially, and it's been the most successful in terms of building housing that can help get people off the street, can help people who otherwise just won't be able to find homes in private sector rental. So how do they do that? Like what kind of a program would help them do that? Well, the Rapid Housing Initiative came out of uh, COVID. It was a one-time announcement in the 2020 budget. It's been one-time announcement since then. Any developer, whether they're private or nonprofit, need a certain amount of um, continuity and certainty. So it should become a regular program. And definitely it should be done in concert with um, the provincial government because the provincial government um, uh, can provide health and social services and also can take a look at things like welfare and minimum wage, which haven't kept up with rent prices. Right. But we talk a lot about kind of, we in, you know, the missing middle out here in BC, we talk about the missing yeah. middle when it comes to housing. Are there ways to build that? You know, are there ways to encourage it? We find that the, the roadblock really seems to be when you get to that municipal level. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I know that the BC government's doing a lot of work with municipalities. 
The federal government has two tools at its disposal. The first is there's a national building code, and there's been some really great work out of BC on how making small apartment buildings easier uh, could be accomplished through some fairly simple changes in uh, the building code. Uh, the second way that the federal government can get involved is, frankly, in its, its bully fact, um, um, factor. It has believers on a lot of infrastructure funding. It could make that infrastructure funding conditional on um, uh, upzoning, uh, which is something that the provincial government in BC is already talking about. One of the issues right now in BC, and I don't want to get too right down in the weeds, is that, um, yeah, uh, you know, a three-story minimum, but really you need something like four stories and no limit on the units and no setbacks and no parking requirements because municipalities, and there's like 700 of them across Canada, are all having their own consultation process and um, they're all having their own rules. There isn't time for that anymore. Okay. I also like the idea of some of the things you suggested here about like taxation reforms. Like that's certainly something the federal government can do, right? Like tweaking taxation so that people, that developers have an incentive to do this. Oh, absolutely. If you look at the evidence, um, purpose-built rental really fell off a cliff in the early 70s. So that's almost 50 years ago when the federal government changed some of its taxation mechanisms that previously had supported the construction of purpose-built rental. Similarly, um, the um, social housing or, or non-market housing fell off a cliff in the early 1990s when the federal government said, oh, that's not really our responsibility anymore. Let's look to the provinces. And the provinces weren't able to, perhaps weren't willing to step up. But if you look at the international commitments that the federal government has made to realizing the right to housing, and it's there in um, actual law, the National Housing Strategy Act, the federal government has to be taking the lead. You know, Dr. Weitzman, what strikes me about a lot of this is that it just feels to be like a political bun fight. Do you know what I mean? Like for the last 25, 30 years, it's been back and forth between, no, the feds say the province can look after it, the province says the federal government should look after it. And we're going back and forth. But in the meantime, literally dying on the street while we're passing it around like a hot potato. So, you know, um, the, the... attitude that I'd like to suggest uh, for the federal government is that it be the leader of Team Canada and municipalities with one uh, definition of affordable housing, one set of targets, and one set of interlocking policies. That's simply not happening right now. Right. So they can lead on this issue. They're just choosing not to. They have to lead. Yeah, we haven't seen that yet, though, have we? Dr. Weitzman, thank you so much for that. No problem, Sydney. Appreciate that. Dr. Caroline Weissman is a housing researcher and adjunct professor in the Department of Geography, Environment, and Geomatics at the University of Ottawa. Talking about the federal government, you know, they say that that's not their primary responsibility, but them taking the lead on this, doing more uh, to help build affordable housing, make it happen right across the country, because it is a Canada-wide problem. I was reading a story interesting um, from Montana 
of all places. It turns out Montana is doing or has done what Premier David Eby has been kind of musing about here in BC, where they took away the the rights essentially of local governments, like, you know, cities, municipalities, what we would call them here, to decide what developments can and can't be built. You know, Havon and I were earlier in the week talking about how the missing middle was such a huge issue for Premier Eby and uh, the former Victoria Mayor Lisa Helps. But the local Victoria Council has put all these kind of poison pill setbacks and things that make it virtually impossible to build the type of housing that is required. Well, in Montana, they had the same problem where developers wanted to build more housing, more affordable housing, accommodations for people, for workers, all of that. But local opposition was making it impossible to get that stuff built. The the state government of Montana stepped in and said, nope, we are going to pass a bill. And they did it in a bipartisan fashion. We're going to pass a bill and we're going to override that. And we are going to make it so that if it meets X, Y, Z, that it can be built and the local government can't do anything to stop it. And they desperately needed this housing in Montana for people, for residents to live in, people who work, we're talking middle-income people, uh, to live and work in these communities. And they managed to get it done. Now, it'll take years to find out, you know, to get all this stuff up and running and to see if that actually works. But they are making the moves already that BC is actually thinking about. Now, would you support that idea is to say to local governments, no, 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 no. You, if, if it meets all of these requirements, then you have to build it no matter what local opposition says. Or do you think that takes too much power away from neighborhoods? 